Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Previously on Where is Brandy Hall, her last 24 hours. I don't know. Just It's just like a nightmare. It's like you know, somebody wake me up from this nightmare. It just, how can anybody go through something like this? I spoke to that night. Um, she had called when um, to say the prayers with the kids, and I forget what show was on. It was like the finale of Big Brother or, or some, you know, one of the shows that was on back then. I yeah. forget. And um, they said the prayers, and I said, I'll talk to you later. And she says, love you. And she goes, love you. And um, the kids were laying in bed with me, you know, watching TV. And then I tried to call her back. She didn't answer the phone. So I said, okay. So I went to bed. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Torres, and welcome to the fourth update episode of Murder on the Space Coast, Season 3, Where is Brandy Hall? Her final 24 hours. So we know that Brandy left the fire station shortly before 11 p.m. We know she drove to get gas. And we know a Palm Bay police officer reported seeing her truck parked out near the gardening area of the Home Depot. That same officer also reported seeing a Palm Bay Fire Department supervisor's vehicle nearby. We know through phone records and statements made by Brandy's husband, Jeff Hall, that he tried calling her at 11.47 p.m., and she never picked up. Jeff said he went to sleep, and when he woke, he was surprised that he had still not heard from Brandy. Remember, the time for Jeff's sentencing hearing had moved up to earlier in the day, something that was confirmed to me by his attorney at the time, Kepler Funk. So I was in a panic, so I tried to call Brandy that morning. She didn't answer the phone. Tried to call it unlikely. You know, it's unlike her because she had two phones. had a Nextel and an at and yeah. Then I called the fire station, fire station, and they said that you know, she had left last night. She was sick. And I started freaking out, so I started calling everybody. And I just repetitively called, repetitively called. It was exactly 6.51 in the morning, three minutes before sunrise, when Jeff called Brandy's phone. Then at 7 a.m., Jeff calls family friend Lynn Troop to ask if she's heard from Brandy. At 7.01, Lynn calls Brandy, and the call goes right to voicemail. Before leaving the house, Jeff left Brandy a note, telling her the hearing had been moved up just in case she got home before he could reach her. 7 o'clock is also the time that Randall Richmond's shift at the Palm Bay Fire Department ends. At 7.04, a call is made from Randall's cell phone to his home phone. Moments later, there is a call from Randall's home phone to a neighbor. And then at 7.27 that morning, Jeff's phone rings. 
Then Randall called me up. He was crying. I said, what the, uh, excuse my French, but I said, what the fuck's wrong with you, you know? Well, you know, I, you know, he was crying, crying. I said, Randall, calm down. I can't understand you. I said, he goes, well, I can't come and be a character witness. I said, that's fine. I said, the judge has already, has already made it clear that he's made up his mind. Now, I think it's important to note that Jeff has repeated this story often. In fact, retired Detective Sid Liddow, who worked the case until he died earlier this year, was the first person to relay it to me. But it really is only Jeff's word on this. We know Randall called Jeff, but only Jeff and Randall know exactly what was said and whether or not Randall was actually crying. What we do know is that during that phone call, Jeff asks Randall if he has heard from Brandy. Both men have said that. Now, you should know Jeff isn't the only one who reported Randall crying in the days after Brandy's disappearance. Former Florida Department of Law Enforcement profiler and agent Tom Davis said he witnessed Randall crying that evening when he was talking with police. Now here is Randall talking to then-FDLE agent Wayne Ivey 16 months later about the call to Jeff that morning. Now let me ask you, that morning you called Jeff and what did you tell Jeff? I told Jeff, I said, listen buddy, I said, I, I know I told you that I'd be there, I said, but the position that I'm in the years that I've got in service at the fire department, the things that I've, you know, accomplished in my career, says I can't put that stuff on the line. And I can't be there for you. He said he understood. He said he understood. Okay. Anything else? He asked me, he asked me, I believe he asked me, have you talked to Brandy this morning? And I said no. He said, I've been calling her phone. What'd you do? Um, then I think he said something else about the case. It, you know, I said no. Then I think he said something about, you know, who was going to be there or who wasn't going to be there. And how did it make you feel when he asked you, did you talk to him? I thought, well, where in the hell is she gone? What has she done? You know. Did you tell him that? No, I didn't tell him that. Cause she told me not. She asked me not to tell anybody anything. Mm -hmm. So he asked you, "Have you seen her?" And you didn't tell him. Mm -hmm. Okay. She asked me not what, to. What phone did you? Now, according to Jeff and also Sid's notes, after Randall hangs up, Jeff calls Lynn Troop at seven thirty, and then again at eight, but she has neither seen nor heard from Brandy. Now, I want to go back a few hours to something that happened at 6.08 that morning, miles away in Vieira. It might just be a weird coincidence, or it could be vital to this case. Either way, it's very strange and worth noting. Here is Private Eye John Lind. One of the things about this case, if you have listened to Murder on the Space Coast, for those of you listening out there, if you haven't, I recommend you do it. Uh, during Murder on the Space Coast, you talked about life being strange, real life being stranger than fiction. And uh, I can tell you that in this case alone, there are things that still have yet to come out that are even stranger than fiction. For example, uh, one of Brandy's neighbors was stopped in a motor vehicle stop the morning of the murder at 6.03 or 6.08 a.m., the day of the murder, and lived right across the street from her. And I don't believe anyone had that information at the time, 6.08 a.m., on the day Brandy went missing. And 
in addition to that, it's linked to a a reality TV show <laughs> where someone who was charged for a domestic battery uh, that's a currently popular TV show on the air. So it gets so crazy trying to link through and, and find out what's important, what's not. And then when you talk to, to some of the interviewees, who are very cooperative, by the way, and who may not have any direct relationship to the case other than peripheral background, some of them even provide you with more information. Okay, I know that was confusing. To clarify, the guy pulled over was Brandy and Jeff's neighbor when they lived in Melbourne. They moved to Malabar about a year before Brandy went missing. Still, listen to this connection. And ironically, he works for a company that was directly associated with the same line of work that Brandy, Randall, and those would be involved with, with a well-known construction company that's here in Florida, or actually national, and has offices here in Florida, and actually... Some of the companies that Randall did business have accounts to this day 30, 30 years later with that company. So it's, it, it's very nebulous and murky once you get into it. And uh, ironically, we still have follow-up to do on that, um, but it, it led into a crazy situation where we sought out to speak to this individual as a witness and a possible neighbor, only to be told that he hired a criminal defense attorney prior to being able to actually speak to him, even though he knew we were just there to speak to him as a neighbor and wow. person who knew Brandy. So these weird roadblocks that keep getting put up and occur make the case even more difficult. So did you catch that? The guy lived across the street from Brandy, did the same kind of construction work she did on the side, worked for a company that Randall's company did work for as well, and hired a criminal defense attorney when private investigators Nick Sandberg and John Lind wanted to ask him about Brandy. I keep going back to those two words we heard in an earlier episode, nebulous and murky, because it could very well be nothing. But isn't it really a strange coincidence that he lived on the same street, did the same kind of work, worked in the same circles as Randall's company, gets pulled over for speeding the morning that Brandy goes missing, and lawyers up when Nick tries asking him about Brandy? I don't know. Maybe I've seen one too many episodes of Dateline, but I think it's worth noting. Hey, if you like investigative journalism like this and what we do with our free podcast, Murder on the Space Coast, please give us a five-star review on whatever app you are listening on. And please consider a digital subscription to Florida Today. The cost is less than a cup of coffee per month and would go a long way to ensure we can keep doing this. Just go to floridatoday.com backslash 321murder or call 877 424 0156 and use the promo code 6-8K to receive a special offer exclusively for podcast listeners. Don Bowles was a hard-hitting investigative reporter for the Arizona Republic in the 60s and 70s. But if the name rings a bell with you, it's likely because of one thing, the way he died. He's been working on a series about the mafia. Today, as he attempted to start his car, a bomb went off. But there's more to the story of Don Bowles than his murder. And more than 40 years after his death, we discovered cassette tapes of his phone calls. In those tapes was a story that haunted him until the day he died. A story that Don himself will help tell. Until they say, don't write them kind of stories no more, I'm going to be right in there. I'm reporter Richard Rellis, and this is Rediscovering. Don Bowles, a murder journalist. 
Our new podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com launches with two episodes on Tuesday, November 5th. Subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Now back to our timeline. That phone call Randall made to Jeff wasn't the only time he called him that morning. Randall calls Jeff again at 10.04 a.m. after Jeff is already in court. The call lasts only a minute, and it has to do with the skid steer I mentioned a few episodes back. Randall calls Jeff and asks if he can remove the heavy equipment from the trailer so that Caterpillar can come out and work on it. Caterpillar had called you looking for? Who? Caterpillar. The The equipment people looking for the cat. Because there comes a, a call later about you're trying to get it serviced or something like that. It was, Tell me how that unfolds. She was supposed to, she had some warranty issues with it. Mm-hmm. And she was supposed to drop it off to get it, to get those warranty issues taken care of. And she hadn't. Okay. And so what happens with that and regarding that, that morning, anything? Um, yeah, I think I made a phone call to Cat and said, did Brandy drop the machine off? And I think he told me no. And I think I asked Jeff, maybe it was in the same conversation or a different conversation, I'm not sure. Um, where's the machine? Did she drop it off? Maybe I even asked Jeff that. And he said, no, the machine is sitting in the yard on the trailer. And I think I asked him, can I go unload the machine off the trailer so Kat can come and get it to fix the warranty issues? Yeah, I think so. Okay. To the best of my memory, I think so. That raised so many questions for me when I first heard this. And apparently I'm not alone. Here again are private investigators Nick Sandberg, followed by John Lind. In an interview with Randall and the police, it's noted that Randall states um, he goes over to Duntel Lane to remove the skid steer from the trailer that where the skid steer is parked for maintenance to be done with ring power. It's supposed to come, and uh, I believe the explanation gave him was there was a problem with the joystick on the skid steer. Um, confirmation with an interview on with Jeff Jeff Hall. Um, Jeff Hall also states that Randall calls him the morning when he's at court asking permission, hey, do you care if I take this off the trailer? So it, it, it's, it's noted in two different interviews that Randall did show up at Dunsell Lane and remove the skid steer from the trailer. And to this date, I've tried to get information from Ring Power on maintenance. And they can't find any maintenance records on the skid steer in those four months. Um, there is a surcharge to go out to a place to actually work on equipment. And they said if the equipment was on a trailer, normally they tell the owner if there's any capable way to bring it in, to bring it in. And you're talking about ring power from Dunsell Lane is only two miles. You know, it's strictly circumstantial, but perhaps what's interesting about this is uh, that Randall goes to deal with this equipment the very morning that he was due in court and informed Jeff that he would not be going to court. And at that time, informed Jeff later, a short time later, that he was actually going to his house to deal with this piece of equipment that would have been something that is still at Brandy's house that she would have still been currently using for jobs. So he not only has an appointment in court, but he also has an appointment for the repair on the same day. 
and he's there the very morning she disappears. Yeah. And uh, like a lot of things that tend to be circumstantial, you know, I think it, it needs more research before we decide what it yeah. means. He's absolutely right, of course, but it seems an unfortunate coincidence for Randall Richmond that he accesses Brandy's construction equipment alone at Brandy's home the very morning after she goes missing and the very morning he was due in court to support his friend Jeff Hall. Why not take the skid steer while it is on the trailer to have it serviced and save on the service fee? And again, we don't even know if Caterpillar came out and serviced the machine that day. What we do know is that there is no way Randall had an appointment with them for the same day he had planned on being in court. Now in his defense, maybe he knew the guys, or maybe he thought they could just come out without prior notice. Still, if you need to dig an emergency grave, what better piece of equipment to have at your disposal than a skid steer? Also, and nearly as important is the fact that he is at Brandy's home when he absolutely knows no one else will be there. Brandy's kids are at school after being dropped off with a friend that morning. Jeff is in court along with their entire families and many of their friends. No one is there. No one is on the property except for Randall. And the skid steer apparently was taken off the trailer, but not off the property. So that was one of the many factors that led police earlier this year to believe that Brandy's remains just might be buried in the backyard of the home she and her husband rented. Another factor was that Nick Sandberg researched images on Google Earth and found a depression and obvious sandy area in the backyard shortly after Brandy went missing that was not there in the weeks before August 17th, 2006. Nearly 13 years to the day, on August 16th, 2019, the police and private eye brought in two cadaver dogs and some ground-penetrating radar to check the backyard. Here is Palm Bay Sergeant Jeff Spears. So today uh, we're out looking for Brandy Hall. Um, the Palm Bay Police Department is assisting the family and the private investigators with their efforts and what they believe based on what they know of the case. Um, so today we're we're looking, we're checking some spots. We have uh, some cadaver dogs that have come from across the state to join and help search, as well as uh, YCOM came out and are offering their assistance with a ground penetrating radar, uh, which is also used to help locate um, anything that's underground. So we're, we're out here, and ironically, uh, tomorrow marks the 13th anniversary since Brandy's disappearance. We're hoping for good news, and we're hoping that we can uh, put closure to this case and, and locate Brandy. The dogs alerted in the backyard and the ground penetrating radar showed something about six feet deep. It was around that time when my editor, Mara Bellaby and I visited the Palm Bay police and were filled in on some of what they were working on. They asked us to hold off on airing these podcasts, originally scheduled to coincide with August 17th, the anniversary of Brandy's disappearance, for a month or so while they worked things out. We wanted to give them time to pursue the new leads, and so we agreed. And well, it's hard to get your hopes up after 13 years, but there was a growing sense of confidence that they just may have identified Brandy Hall's grave. But, as you heard during a special breaking news update I posted between the first and second episodes, a dig on the property turned up nothing. So unfortunately we uh, did not locate Brandy today, but um, there's still some other leads and some other 
avenues that we're, we're checking, but we can say for certain that she's not here. I have been privy to some of the other operations they have planned, and I believe that Sandberg and Spears are determined to solve this case once and for all. And again, I promise to keep everyone updated as things happen in real time. So back to Brandy's last 24 hours. Now, as you already know, Randall does himself no favors by lying initially to the police about whether or not he had talked with Brandy, lying to Jeff on the phone, and then lying to Lynn Troop's husband, then a deputy with the Brevard County Sheriff's Office. Because according to Sid's notes, Troop goes to Randall's home at 9 that morning and asks him if he has seen Brandy. His response, according to Sid's notes, I didn't even know Brandy was missing. While all this is going on, just about everyone at the courthouse is wondering why Brandy is not there. Well, we went up to the courthouse and we're all sitting around and everybody was there and Brandy wasn't there. I'm like, well, where's she at? And I just felt like something wasn't right. It's like, okay, where's she at? And so she didn't show up. She didn't show up. Jeff said he had tried calling her all morning and he had Yes. He had called friends to ask if they'd seen her. Yes. So anyway, she wasn't there. I knew something wasn't right. It's like, well, we got to go find her or something. Or what if she, you know, what if she got in a wreck or something? It's like, where's she at? But I wasn't like her. She just, she would have been there. And so anyway, after we had, they had to all go into court. So once court was over with. I, we went straight to a friend's house in Melbourne and started trying to go find out where Brandy was at. And they kept sitting around saying, okay, just, you know, we're trying to see where she's at or find out what's going on or whatever. And that's whenever I got tired of sitting there. I'm like, well, I'm going to go find her. You know, I'm going to go see what I can do, ride around or whatever. I went riding around looking looking everywhere. I went driving around those roads of Palm Bay, looking everywhere, everywhere I could think of where she was at. And that's whenever I met one of her, I've come up to the stop sign. That's whenever I met one of her friends. She got out of the car and come running to me and she said, they just found Brandy's truck. They just pulled Brandy's truck out of the pond. So I'm like, what? And so we went over to the fire station and that's when we learned what was going on. We know what happens next. Brandy's truck is pulled out of the pond, her blood is identified, and we have been stuck there ever since. Randall went to the police station that evening to give a statement where he said he had not spoken to Brandy in weeks. On Sunday, he returned and told police that was a lie. But it reminded me of something that our old friend, former Florida Department of Law Enforcement agent Tom Davis, told me when we first recorded Season 3. During that period of time... I believe is when uh, the fire lieutenant, uh, Randall Richmond. Right, right. I think it was a fire captain, I think. Or captain, yeah. whichever. Uh, I knew he was a, a Palm Bay fire officer. Yep. And he had asked for the case detective at that time. It was assigned to, to uh, Detective Folsom. And they said, he's here to see you. He wants to speak with you. To Fos, Detective Folsom. Uh, they went into the interview room. The emotional state of Richmond 
was rather startling to me uh, in that uh, weeping, crying, uh, showing extreme emotion. Um, I was told by members of the police department that uh, Randall, Richmond, and the victim, Randy, uh, had an ongoing affair, extramarital right. affair. So I expected probably some emotion, but in all my years of seeing how people respond, uh, I was, I was, it drew, it caught my attention, his degree. You're also a profile. That's and, correct. And yeah. so when you see that sort of reaction, what does it tell you? Or, you know, what does it tell your gut? Uh, my gut feeling was uh, it was more of a fear with some, because you see, I didn't see the genuine, oh my God, I lost someone I love. My gut, my, my years of this didn't tell me that, John. Uh, what it did was arouse suspicion. Uh, that in light of the fact that Mr. Richmond felt the need at that point in their investigation to insert himself. And one always asks, why does a person, and it could be someone who was drinking with this person in the bar, let's say, not uh, hypothetical, and they're drinking, and suddenly you're conducting an investigation and they show up, hey, I'm Joe, I was having a beer with the guy in the bar the other day. Really? Well, why did Joe feel the need to come insert himself in this? Uh, and that's how I looked at Mr. Richmond. Why does he feel the need to tell a story to the police, insert himself? And, and even more suspicious to me was, particularly if you're a married man having an affair, the last thing it would appear you'd want is to have your name in the middle of this uh, you want to distance yourself unless you felt the need to insert a bogus story. And that's the part I was talking about. Why would Randall Richmond insert himself in the story? Why did he feel the need to go and talk to police and then, well, lie? And that was a critical factor in this case that derailed police during the crucial early hours of the investigation. Next time on Murder on the Space Coast... What happens now in the search for Brandy Hall? There's a, there's a, a lot of parts that you know you really want to sit down and, and take a look at and really wrap your head around how the initial investigation happened because a lot of that those first 48 hours is crucial in any in any case and so that's what you really want to understand you really want to get a grasp of those first 48 hours of when she went missing to what they did in those hours after. I was uh, I was at a Brevard County Manatee's baseball game, and I got a text from another lawyer and said, have you heard from Brandy? Then I said, no, not in about a week or so. And he said, well, she's been missing. And he told me what happened. And the first thing I said, are, are, are the kids gone? He said, no, they're here. And I said, or he might have said, Jeff has the kids. I don't remember exact quotes, but uh, as soon as I knew she was missing, the kids were here. I, I've always assumed the worst. If you have any information as to Brandy Hall's whereabouts, please call 1-800-423-TIPS. That's 1-800-423-8477.
Calls are anonymous and are not recorded. To subscribe to Florida Today, please visit floridatoday.com backslash 321murder. For now, I'm news columnist John A. Torres, and you can follow me on Twitter at John Albert Torres. That's at J-O-H-N-A-L-B-E-R-T-O-R-R-E-S. And for more information on these cases and web exclusives, please go to whereisbrandyhall.com. Murder on the Space Coast is written and narrated by me, John A. Torres. The producer is Rob Landers, and the editor is Mara Bellaby. Thank you for listening to Murder on the Space Coast, brought to you by Florida Today, a part of the USA Today Network.